0: thank you very much for downloading the trap one podcast i'm mark i'm pete and i'm sign this time we're talking about the latest doctor who vinyl release from demon music group the second volume of nest cottage chronicles demon quest so once again this uh, this set includes an exclusive frameable portrait of the fourth doctor hand signed by tom baker himself so i think I think I'm right to say it's a quite a long time now since Tom Baker has done a convention or anything, definitely sort of pre pandemic, yeah. isn't it? So, so, not as easy maybe to get, get a signature from him anymore. Yeah. It has an intricately die cut, removable outer sleeve. Um, inside, there's a lidded box complete with 10 individual, beautifully illustrated LP sleeves featuring full cast and credits for each of the five stories. A 16-page full-color booklet featuring notes and illustrations from this epic pursuit through time, and it presented across ten 140-gram alternating red and black vinyl discs. So, I just I, these look absolutely beautiful. It's like the last one; it just just looks absolutely stunning, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: it's amazing, isn't it? It just they've really upped their game for these series. Which is is really magnificent. I mean, the Hornets Nest set was was beautiful, and this one is
2: as well. Yeah, the red of the cover and the, de- the the demonic eyes, and I mean, the, the original CDs have got have all got good uh, art anyway, uh, which is in- included, isn't it? But um, I have got, still got my set, I got dug my CDs out for this. Uh, it's uh, before I went downloading. <laughs> so this is what 2011, isn't it? Eleven years ago. Yeah, I think uh, 2010, 2010. I think this oh, series. Oh, we jumped to it. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. That's right. It was 2011 when they did a box set of all three after the third one came out. That's yeah. it. That's it, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. All the original covers, all of these releases had really
1: great covers all the way through. Um, and this year we've got – we had um, covers by um, – one by June Hudson, which was really
0: brilliant. Yeah. to See, yeah, a shard of ice is by June Hudson, isn't it? Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. And and fits part of the narrative as well. It's the it's the picture from the from the fairy tale storybook as well. Yes. So it's nice. Uh, it's nice like that as well. So yeah, we we had to wait for these monthly back in two thousand and ten. I remember being really into these and and really excitedly awaiting um, each monthly re- release and. Um, yeah, just just absolutely adored them at the time, but not really vi- revisit them probably in a decade or more. So this was a fantastic opportunity to, to go back and re-listen to them.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love these adventures because they exist in their own little pocket universe, which just makes them sort of special. So I don't think there's any other sort of Doctor Who audio drama that is quite like these. Um, that's a mixture of narration and dialogue. I, I think... Sort of developing from hornet's nest they 've gone there's a lot more dialogue scenes than there were in the first series. I think the first mm. series very much relied on the doctor telling the story to Mike, but here we've got greater um, contributions from Mrs. Wibbsey particularly and Mike as well so there's a lot of dialogue scenes as they're having the adventures, and again lots of villain confrontations and extra characters um not just telling the stories but being involved in the stories but i've always really liked the mixture of narration and and dialogue i think that that just makes these stand out from your normal big finish adventures i know we said when we did um hornet's nest that um one of the things um that sort of fans were a bit disappointed by at the time was that they weren't like big finish adventures which is your doctor who tv story in audio form. And I think this series got a bit of a warmer welcome because people knew what to expect from
2: it after hearing the first first lot. Yeah, it's a hybrid, isn't it? It's a hybrid bringing that word back to Dr. Who fandom of, um, <laughs> uh, of of audiobook meets meets fireside storytelling meets meets episode of Doctor Who. Like how it's, it's, it takes you in through layers, doesn't it? You, you've got the nest cottage theme that plays first. Uh, and then, um, and then there'll be a little bit of action, and then the Doctor Who theme comes in, like after after a sort of mini cliffhanger. Sometimes, uh, yeah, it's funny how it takes you down into different layers. And it seems like through this one, each story has a different character sort of appointed as narrator, and they seem to just be narrating it, but they're just narrating it rather than rather than doing it as dialogue to another character, um, which is an interesting uh, tweak on the format. Yeah, it's taking a bit yeah. deeper into the Paul Mars universe. Of of how things are happening the put,
0: Paul Mars is in charge of the universe. Other than a shard of ice, I think, which is it's ultimately revealed that it's Albert Tienen telling the story to the king, which was oh, yeah. where he was on his way to, wasn't it? So it's kind of right at the end, he said, Oh, I'm I'm telling you your majesty, or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, those different points of view are really good. So that so the doctor narrates the first one. Uh, so Tom Baker in, in character is the doctor, everyone's in character narrating them, aren't they? and hmm. uh, he's been away from Nest Cottage for a year since the events of Hornet's Nest. He's come back to check in on Mrs. Wibsey, um, so just immediately. And I think one of the benefits of the being more dialogue and it being more like an audio play is these two interacting with each other. Um, they're absolutely brilliant together. He loves her, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> warm welcome, and then she immediately goes, oh, you're back again then. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And Mrs. Whipsy is just such a fabulous character. And um, it always makes me think of um, Tom Baker wanting a wheezing old woman as a companion. And she yeah. more, just sort of fits the bill, but more as a, an old battle axe. Yeah. But with, as we learn, lots of vulnerabilities. And actually, she's quite a well-developed character through this. Because I think she was written very one note through Hornet's Nest because she was possessed most of the time. So she was just, um, you weren't sure you didn't weren't sure you liked her. But here, I think we we see a lot of her vulnerabilities as well. And Susan Jameson really rises to the challenge of playing this.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, you yeah, she you're supposed to be quite suspicious of her all the way through Hornets Nest, aren't you? Whereas here there's there's little hints and things that there's something going on, but but there's also like you say, there's a lot more sympathy for. Her. I think in the first story, when the one of the first things she asked the doctor is, "Can't you take me home to to 1932 and and, mm-hmm. and back to coma? And yeah, I remember that from the first time I listened to it. Sort of the doctor being quite, it's almost it quite harsh, isn't it? Saying, "No, you can't go back. There's nothing for you. You know, your life here is is here now in Ness Cottage." It's like. Just keeping her as a housekeeper. Or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's there's no sort of oh transgressive fixed point of the continuum and blah blah. It's just like no, you live here now. <laughs> You're my <Yeah>. housekeeper.
0: <laughs> You've been trafficked through time.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a good title. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, 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 sh- and uh, the the opening of this—it's very seasonal as well. I mean, because we're recording this first of December, uh, and uh, and it's Christmas again because the last one end, was was ended at Christmas, and so now yeah, it, it's like he's had eleven months off. I wonder if he's been off and done a done the key to time season or something. We, we, talked about we talked about <laughs> this last time, didn't we? Yeah, where where this actually sits in in the fourth <laughs> Doctor's life, and it's odd. I mean, there's scenes later where it's the fourth Doctor and Mike Yates and Mrs. Wibsey running around together. And it's hard in your mind's eye to picture that they're both pushing 80 and the fourth doctor's 40. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, of course, he doesn't sound it and he doesn't, you know, he's not, it it doesn't matter. It doesn't want you to care. But uh, it's a funny Mm -hmm. picture in your mind's eye. I love how the beginning of this one also. It's just so sort of tranquil and pastoral, the pre-credits bit it's just there's, there's the, the sad bit with mrs wibsey and then there's no real peril it's not like they don't discover anything horrific's about to happen it just sets it up here we are back at Needs Cottage, and it's christmas roll credits and then yeah. and then she's off to a jumble and then, sale <laughs> <laughs> and she sold bits of
1: the tardis yeah. <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time i loved that the first time round, and it's, i loved hearing that again
2: yeah, and if any of us, as fans, particularly as younger fans, had the experience of our mums, or uh, in my case, going off to it, coming back coming back from uni and hearing that my mum had been to a car boot sale and a lot of my stuff had gone to oh, all that stuff you never looked at that you didn't take to uni with you, <laughs> and so I don't think there was any Doctor Who stuff in it at that point, or maybe, but um, uh, I could I could definitely empathise with the Doctor there. I love what he, he says; she she rattles off to the um, to the to the jumble sale like uh, she was gone in a flurry of biscuit tins and iodine. Pounds.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> a very small
2: <laughs> turn of phrase. Yeah. And you can just imagine Tom Baker reading that and going, Yes, this is what I want. <laughs> this is the stuff I want to be reading.
0: <laughs> did they still do jumble sales? I feel like I haven't heard of a jumble sale for a long time. These obviously car boot sales and things like that, but you never hear jumble sales. But yeah, it used to be as a kid going to a jumble mm-hmm. sale, um, it would always be, you know, the The prospect of of looking out for Doctor Who stuff, you know, sort of finding annuals and things like that. Like the school would have a jumble sale. I remember I I got quite a few Doctor Who. Very well out of jumble sales. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Stuff stuff from sort of three or four years ago, previously, that like older kids had. Donated, yeah. We, we, and I got a really good Muppets poster from a, from a jumble sale at school. That's so I was really proud of. It. And it was all crinkled up, and I had to learn how to iron. It. Sorry, really off topic, but I was taught how to iron. A, a, my mum taught me using um, a tea towel and iron on its lowest setting to iron this poster, the creases out of it without um, <laughs> without setting fire to anything. <laughs> a rummage, but but yeah, I guess it's got they've got a bad reputation maybe for for just being. Yeah, but the, uh, for some reason, car boots seem to have a reputation. But it just wouldn't be the same. The Fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, striding around a car boot sale—it's not wouldn't quite be the right, same. Is it? A no. jumble sale feels yeah. right. Yeah, at the village hall, particularly. We've never seen the Fourth Doctor in a village hall before. I mean, but it just fits in perfectly.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's that great Doctor Who thing of the sci-fi mixed with the everyday prosaic. English stuff, isn't it? You know, there's a jumble sale, but it's the, it kicks off this massive uh, time and space spanning plot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as we find out, you know, a demon has, has visited this actual uh, <laughs> jumble sale to set the, uh, set the chain of events in motion. <laughs> and left Mrs. Wibsey with a bag of clues. Yeah, <laughs> <Or>
1: old rubbish. <laughs>
2: And what the first and the first one pictured on the cover is this mosaic of the Doctor. It's a very good mosaic, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. uh, for the for the relics of time. Yeah. And, and conveniently, this is this is a week where the Doctor can steer the TARDIS perfectly <laughs> by, <Yes>. by by <laughs> just touching a thing to it. it uh, the TARDIS by, by somehow cl- clipping it into the TARDIS console, the TARDIS can take him to, to the time point it came from. Uh, it can only
1: travel in time. It can't travel in space because. <laughs> the relative um, oh, I can't remember which, which
0: piece <laughs> of
2: TARDIS it is that's broken well, yeah. that the, spatial the spatial geometer the spatial geometer, that's it well he couldn't have much of a quest if he couldn't move the TARDIS at all you've got to have one thing or the other <laughs> <laughs> if you are got to go, he needs at least one dimension that he can move in if he's going on a quest so fair enough
0: <laughs> how does that work though, because the Earth's moving constantly <laughs> <laughs> Don't think about it too hard. That's yeah. the message. <laughs>
2: travel back in time two hours and you'll be hovering in space about half a mile away from the Earth. <laughs> Damn, that's all science fiction ruined. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, all time travel science fiction. <laughs> oh, it's something to do with curves. Curves, fourth dimensional super string curves, meaning you stay in a relative place. There we go. I've solved that one. <laughs>
1: that makes sense. So we have Celts and Romans when he travels back in time, don't we? Which is is a good setting and sort of nice and wild and very different from Mrs. Wibsey, who the Doctor has dragged along with him. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yes, Wibsensia. <Yes. laughs> she ends up being uh,
0: worshipped as. <laughs> it's brilliant because there's a lot of stuff in here where they he takes... Uh, Mike Yates or Mrs. Wibsey or both of them because he already knows from the clues that he, which one he took, didn't he? So there's, uh, <laughs> yeah. there's kind of some paradoxes here so he, um, not so much this one actually, does he? Because he only knows about the Mosaic. Oh no, he does, he knows about Wicentia because the the page from the history book mentions oh, yeah, right. the priestess or the goddess or whatever Wicentia so he knows he has to take her So there's a, know, it's quite like a bootstrap paradox or whatever but it's, um, yeah, it's all kind of, um, Set up for him like that, and I love when he when they meet the Emperor Claudius, or who purports to be the Emperor Claudius, uh, who they've been sent to kill, and they just have the most urbane conversation, don't they? I've been sent here to kill you. Oh, oh, really? Okay, you better come inside, and, uh, and that's what continues in the last story where you meet that incarnation of the of the demon again. Um, yeah, played by the same actor. I, I really like that. Really suits Tom Baker as well. Instead of having like a kind of a big. Showdown with uh, you know with kind of threats and things. It's it's just yeah very kind of witty and uh, like Aunt Scaglioni or something, isn't it? It's great.
2: Yeah, it's a good. It's a time period that really suits him as well. At, at one point I noted down here uh, when I was listening, I put Wibsey's very Tegan. But the, Tom would take that from an older woman much more comfortably than he would from a younger woman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I it would be a bit awkward if a 20-year-old was speaking to him the way Wibbsy does, but because she's because she's a, a, a battle axe uh, who he reveres, uh, it all uh, it just clicks, doesn't it? Yeah, you, you get the it, barbarian... Oh, a thing that gets said in this, uh, the barbarians say the dark is rising at one point, and somebody says that uh, later on as well. Um, which is the name of – oh, remind me, Simon. It's um, Susan – you've mentioned it before, yeah. Yes. Um, uh, did you, did you think was, Susan Cooper. Uh, okay, yeah. that was that's how quickly I can read a Wikipedia <laughs> yes. article. Susan Cooper's Dark <laughs> is Rising, which is about mm-hmm. all about uh, Arthurian gods coming back, isn't it? Or, or connections to all of that.
0: Um, well, yeah, and again, um, a very Paul Mars kind of thing to drop ooh, yeah, in. yeah. Right, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that at all.
2: It's just a little name drop, really. It doesn't, um, it's not a clue or anything. It just, uh, yeah,
0: he's, he's, he's just name dropping one of his favourites, I suppose. That's cool. And I, I love the fact that Claudius has got an elephant as well. And he we, um, <laughs> said immediately, he says,
2: I'd love to have, I, I'd like to have an elephant for a companion myself. And <laughs> you can just imagine him saying that to Graham
0: Williams. <laughs> Couldn't we keep it on, Graham? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like Claudius plants that as well, isn't it? Because he says he's been my constant companion, and the doctor's gone companion, that's eh? Yeah. That's <laughs> it. yeah. uh, and it's nice that they, because they, they've had to walk quite a long way from the TARDIS as well. That they, they travel all the way back with the elephant, take the elephant forward in time, and the TARDIS to, to drop him off at a zoo as well. Yeah, it can't be that big an elephant. It fits through the TARDIS doors, doesn't
2: it? Yeah. <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's a it's a, a svelte elephant.
0: Yeah, I think they, it would be um, it would be a scene where they cut away, wouldn't it? And then it would have been inside the TARDIS. It's like when K Nine uh, couldn't quite get <laughs> over the doorstep. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: cut from location to to BBC Two TV studios <laughs> and spy. Yeah, yeah and coming in through the huge internal doors of the TARDIS, mm-hmm. no problem at all.
1: I thought um, Nigel Anthony was really good as the wizard Stroke Claudius. He he gave a great performance, and very influenced by Derek Jacobi in *I Claudius*.
2: Yeah, yeah, and he's very—he's got one of those voices that immediately had me thinking. Oh, I know this guy, I know this voice. So well. I went off to IMDb, and actually I hadn't seen. I know he's, he's, I know he's a character actor with loads and loads of credits, but none, none that I particularly remembered uh, seeing. But I think he's one of those people who's just uh, who just got that presence that he pops up here, there, and everywhere. You know, will be a, a a patient of the week on *Casualty* and that sort of thing. It's a lovely, warm voice. There were, there were there were hints, weren't there? There was the bit where um, somebody said, "Ah, oh, yes, this uh, the 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 um, uh, the pictures that he's created are uh, this. This one is his masterpiece." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I mean, you can't <laughs> not think." But but it's a, it's a bit annoying that I come out of it. I come out of the fourth wall because I don't think, could it be the master? I think, could Paul Miles have got the rights to use the master in this? <laughs> it's like, oh, that's not what I'm meant to be thinking. I'm meant to be in the drama. I'm not meant to be trying to remember what the right situation is. But of course yeah. he could because it's a BBC product. But but no, it's not.
0: It's just a tease, I think. And the the slight speech impediment as well is is a bit of a clue, isn't it? Um, like you say, from like I, Claudius and stuff. It's, yeah. I mean... Everything I know about Claudius is from my Claudius. Um yeah. To 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 pick up on as well, just you know, like a scene or two before it's revealed who he is. So it's um, yeah, that's a nice touch in the performance as well. And
1: it had been so long since I'd heard these um that I'd completely forgotten it was Claudius.
0: So that was a nice twist
1: a second time <laughs> round as well. So yeah. that really worked. <laughs>
0: In all the years, yeah, there's loads of this that I'd I'd forgotten and and, and came as a nice surprise. Or uh, yeah, it was uh, that was really good. And and I'd forgotten about the answering machine as well, which um, Mrs. Wibbsey's taken to the jumble sale to sell, and the Doctor rescues because they souped it up. And um, which it sort of makes you picture um, like the Ninth Doctor um, souping up Rosie's phone and that kind of thing, isn't it? So that uh, can uh, can send and receive calls across time. <laughs> yeah. And even and even though the Nescottage
2: bits are set in the present day of when it came out, I kind of definitely I've still got that mid seventies vibe on it cause definitely because that's the it's the mid it's, it's mid seventies Tom Baker, of mid seventies fourth Doctor. So I'm imagining a, a big thing with a big cassette in it
0: when when she talks about that sleep machine uh, rather than anything digital. Yeah, he just say something about the tape running out as well, doesn't he? So uh, oh, did he actually found- say that? All ah, right, yes. I wasn't sure if I'd have
1: – yeah, yeah, because so- Mike. Mike's message that. is very long and keeps going yeah. and then
2: cuts out, doesn't it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, only it's a factor later, isn't it, in the final yes. episode?
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the story, Claudius tries to get the Doctor into a, de- a dematerialization chamber, but um, they just run out of it at the last minute, which is how <laughs> they keep escaping from it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I love that message and the message from Yates at
2: the end. We're Yates having the line, we're off to the Moulin Rouge.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's, Exactly the sort of thing that Mike Yates would say, I'm sure. So yeah, it's, it becomes clear that it's a very convoluted plan that the demon has, <laughs> yeah. just to get the doctor to uh, to the place he wants him to go. Yeah. In some cases, he's lived entire lifetimes as you know. There's some of the stories we'll get onto. He's lived entire lifetimes as a human, just to get to the point where his path will intersect with the doctor's <laughs> to try and uh, bundle him into the dematerialization chamber. <laughs> God it had a great sound effect that
1: dematerialization chamber. I liked that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like a big bass drop. <laughs> it
0: was really cool. Mm-hmm. So, say so the next stop is is Paris. They uh, travel forward in time to the eighteen nineties uh, with the elephant, <laughs> which they drop off at the zoo, and then this one's narrated by Mrs. Wimsy, which I think is is really interesting because to kind of f- on the first listen through. When she says something about I've never been in Paris before, um, she said I don't want the doctor to know in case in case he thinks I'm pleased or something like that. <laughs> That's <a bit> wrong. <laughs> yeah.
2: um,
0: which which I really like um, because she sort of um, there's there's a few bits like that as well when when she follows Latrec out of the bar and she and she says something like. Well, I don't know. I don't know why I did this. Um, I just followed him out the bar, and and the first time I listened to it through, I was thinking, oh, it's, she's sort of falling into the role of the companion mm-hmm. and getting involved in the adventure, but but almost begrudgingly, and not and not sort of admitting to herself, she's sort of saying, oh, I don't know why I did it. But then retrospectively, when you've got to the end of the story, there's another layer on top of that of thinking, yes. oh, well, now we do know why you did that because certain of your actions are being controlled, um, but not you're not possessed all the time sort of thing. So that was a nice, this this story in particular where it's narrated by her, I really like from from that point of view. And you feel a bit sorry for her as well because at the end when she thinks, well, I could go to Cromer and mm-hmm. see her, her parents, who mm-hmm. you know, who, who are dead in her present and that kind of thing. And then right. how she's flattered by Latrec's attentions as well when he wants to paint her. There's uh, it's a, a lot of, a lot of uh, sympathy for her and, and really fleshes her out this one, I think.
1: Yeah, I've really loved the scene where she's talking about going to see her parents because she'd lost them when she was young. And so it's just filling in her backstory. And again, Susan Jameson just plays it so beautifully. And um it's really moving. And this is a woman out of time, and this is as close yeah. this is as close as she can get to her own time. And there are mm. people that she knows who would be alive that she could see. It's yeah, it's really lovely.
2: Yeah, it's clever how they turn her and make her much more th- th- three-dimensional than she might be in in other hands. That she would, you know, the, obviously, the yeah, the outline is this bo- bossy battle axe who won't put up with any of his nonsense, and that's a great starting point. But then everything everything else is there for her as well, and they can you know we, we have to and it builds up. It makes the ending of the, of the story work better as well. Yeah, the fact that we've we've seen all of her different sides to her personality and and to her story. It's funny having a, the doctor in Paris again in another story, the fourth doctor in Paris with art. Uh, although, although, yeah, I suppose in his timeline this is before City of Death. But let's not get into all that. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, um, it just but using, of course, as it does the uh, the picture that inspired his costume and actually making that canonical from its own point of view that it was him who inspired the picture, uh, and is uh, is a lovely. Uh, well, it's rather cheeky, really, but. <laughs> but again it feels like the fourth doctor
1: belongs here among the bohemians in paris and just the i could just conjure up the image of him at the moulin rouge and um sort of getting uh, throwing himself into the show and then getting up and
2: singing (laughs) which is wonderful Tom is the only doctor who would get drunk and dance on a table in a Parisian bar yes. isn't he there's just no none of the, the the others might do one or the other of those two things i can imagine Sylvester the seventh doctor dancing on a table and i can imagine mm-hmm. the third doctor getting drunk in a bar but i don't think yeah. either of them would do both at the same time that's 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 the that's the fourth doctor's intersection we maybe sure maybe, we maybe the
0: first maybe the first <laughs> He sings "Show Me the Way to Go Home," doesn't he? And um, it reminded me. I love the bit in "The Brain of Morbius" when he's uh, he's been drugged, hasn't he, by um, by Doctor Soul? And he says something like, "I had a little drink about an hour ago." Okay. Yes, yeah. That from that, that's from that song. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, that that felt like a really subtle um, kind of link to "The Brain of Morbius" as well. <laughs> but, that's like his favourite song or something. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had to sing that song at a trade union
2: conference once when I was about seven. <laughs> so my dad, my dad was a trade union executive, and uh, it was the international conference in, the, in, in Brighton or somewhere. And there was there was various delegations there, all from knitwear unions around the world. And uh, and suddenly there was some spontaneous thing that everyone was going to do. Uh, there were all each delegation was going to sing a song, and uh, and like the. And everyone was just coming up with, with songs to do. And I got told to do this song that I'd never heard, and I had like half an hour to learn it. And I like sung it. It's a song about being drunk. I <laughs> <That> was seven. <laughs> I was going, I had a little drink about an hour ago. And uh, somebody accompanied me on the piano. In com- he was in completely the wrong key. That's why I had to do it. It was the one song that one person knew how to play on the piano. Uh, but um, I, 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 I went for laughs. I decided I wasn't going to win any singing awards. But then this Japanese delegation got up after after us and did this like horrifically per- perfectionist twelve note harmony chor- choral thing, uh, which somehow managed to. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm you triggered me. <laughs> I found that song really traumatic.
1: <laughs> I think this one was my favourite of the um, of the stories. Throughout, I think this there was lots of jeopardy, lots of incident, lots of chasing around Paris. But I think um, the mystery in this one was really engaging, and there's all that question all the time of because it is set up like it looks like Toulouse has done all of these, um, all of these murders, these horrific things, and he doesn't remember, which sort of would would fit with what we know of the demon so far. So it's all set up beautifully and, and for it not to be him. And then you think, well, maybe it's La Charlotte because she is really dubious and a bit, um, you don't necessarily trust her. There's lots of clues. And then for it to ultimately be revealed to be the dotty old woman who has doted on him for all her life is is really good because you don't see that coming at all. There's enough red herrings to keep you going. And the pacing on this one was really great and then the narration was really good. And, again, the sound design of Paris and all the sort of various ways and the sort of description of the foggy nights in Montmartre and all the side streets and running around was really well done.
0: Yeah, I think there's a, a nice... Misdirect because uh, La Charlotte she's been stabbed, but then she seems fine, and, and that's kind of a really suspicious thing, isn't it? Um, but I thought I quite liked how uh, the, the concierge I think La Charlotte describes her as uh, oh, she's like a horrible old woman, but then Mrs. wibsey likes her. Um, she says something like, oh, she's very kind of warm in a woman hospital or something like that, and you think, yeah, because they, they're similar on the face of it, quite similar characters. Mm-hmm. um who uh, you know these these sort of like uh, you know kind of battle axe housekeepers sort of thing who uh, who look after their uh, you know the the men that um, that, that, that 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 live there. Um, I wasn't sure because the the this is the subject of the of the the famous poster, isn't it? They say that he's gone missing and suspected to have been murdered, and uh, I didn't know really anything about the track or anything like that. So, I'd had a look on Wikipedia and it's just as he died. It doesn't suggest that he was murdered or anything. Because I did wonder if that was a real historical fact that mm-hmm. he'd been murdered and at some point. LaTrec had, you know, fallen under suspicion or anything. But uh, it all seems to be an invention of this story. But it is, uh, like you say, it's the atmosphere and, and the mood. And it really does really suit Tom Baker's doctor. I think uh, Mrs. Wibsey has a line, doesn't she? Something like he seems completely at home um, traveling here and uh, like he knows his way around. and Yeah.
2: And there's a moment where he has a line that I, re- I wrote down. Um, I, think I, I didn't write down who said it. I, th- I think it was the doctor saying it, of Mrs. Wibsey, that she was very scared but very brave, uh, which that famous quote, was it Terence Dix said that about Sarah when he was casting? No, it was um, Barry Letts said that when casting Elizabeth Sladen uh, as uh, as Sarah. So that's a nice little tie in there. It's um, it's Finty Williams playing um, La Charlotte, Uh Judy Dench's daughter. Yes. Ah, uh, right. She's got. A, she's got a really good voice, as you'd expect, with that DNA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was the, uh, one of the things I wrote down, and the, the end credits of this one. The way he when he when he credits the producer uh kate thomas he says it as if they are the two most exhilarating and thrilling and delightful words that have ever been put side by kate thomas uh, I, I, I think <laughs> does that... get more and more over the top as the as the um, episodes go on doesn't yeah. it because i'm like yeah because unlike big finish these do these have him doing the credits starting starring yes. tom baker yeah mm-hmm. um which I, I, I wish big finish would do that i don't think I, I think it's it's fine it's a really nice part of audio uh, and yeah, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't switch off when he's doing them. He's still fully
0: at full power. Yeah. So he must have recorded them all at once and got more. So the the next clue from, on the bag of goodies, is a book of fairy tales, which has a picture showing Dr. Mike Yates facing down a demon of snow and ice so they, uh, they decide to, which is, the, uh, which is the beautiful, and the original CDs are covered by June Hudson, which is uh, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so they know to collect Mike for this adventure. Uh, so they go back to Nest Cottage. Action. yeah, they, he just takes Mike, doesn't he? He leaves um, Mrs. Whibsey behind for this one. And this one is narrated by Albert Tierman, who is played by Samuel West from Dimensions in Time. Yeah, make a <laughs> triumphant
1: <he> is, <laughs> return to Doctor Who,
2: <laughs> as he has always billed. I'm sure he insists on that being how he's described. <laughs> by his,
0: uh, whenever his agent is putting him up for another role at the RSC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think I think I've seen interviews with him where he said that he'd love to play the Doctor. I think he's sort of mm. um, you know tried to try to go for the Doctor a couple times, hasn't he? And he's kind of said, you know, I know, I know exactly how I would play it and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I guess to be involved in Dimensions in Time, he must have been a fan or there must have been – because everybody, yeah. <laughs> everybody else is, you know, an established um, monster or or companion or, you know, doctor or anything. So oh, there yeah. must have been some – You're action.
2: giving your time for free, so –
0: so, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, well, why did he do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he must. Have. And I mean, obviously, do you want to be Kate O'Mara's thigh slapping, sexy companion? Uh, it's not a thing <laughs> yes. that many people would say no to. <laughs> yeah, who'd say Who no wouldn't to that?
0: Say yes to that. Yeah. <laughs> it was his big break. <laughs> And again, he comes from
1: a, a, a huge acting dynasty like Finty Williams, doesn't he? So mm. um, so his father's Timothy West and Prunella Scales is his mum. So it's just, yeah, that's a, a pretty good background. And he is brilliant. He's so
0: good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's great in this one because he's, he's a storyteller and he's telling this story, but it's... It, it, from the first two stories, you, you begin to wonder. I think at the start, who's going to turn out to be the demon in this one? You've re- yeah, you've, it's, it's clicked that that's what the game mm-hmm. is, isn't it? Yeah. But but they subvert that expectation again by the demon being the demon in it, almost, or, or being a different type of of demon. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, it's a, a demon of of snow and ice, but the actual form is is more of a what you think of as a demon sort of describes leathery wings and things like that, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Yeah, this, uh, and it's quite like this guy is a fairy tale writer and the story is quite fairy tale in itself, isn't it? That he, he is charged by the King to, to go and tell him a new story whenever, whenever he wants one, because the King is blind and can't read. So that, that in itself is, is quite like a sort of fairy tale setup, I think, isn't it? And then on the way, um, the doctor starts telling him about the keys of Marinus and the colony in space, <laughs> all these things. And, um, and he goes, well, I can't use any of these stories because the doctors, the hero of them. And um, and it kind of made me think the first time. It's like, well, yeah, but you could just put anybody in. You could just adapt that <laughs> and surely put anybody in. You know, you've got the bare bones of a story there about, you know, a weapon that's an ancient weapon hidden underground or like a quest to collect keys and things. But then again, once you know the end of the story, you realize it's that's because... He's always had his stories delivered to him already packaged up by the demon and he hasn't had to adapt anything or take any inspiration from anywhere. So, yeah, what initially, yeah, kind of stuck out as a bit of a a bit of an odd point, it all it does then all make sense, which I really like.
2: And Jan Francis is the demon goes for it a hell for leather, doesn't she? She's having a wonderful <laughs> she time. This is isn't she? one of the most over the top, <laughs> but in a good way, performances that you could you could imagine when it really really gets going. Yeah, and that's funny because I've just been I I, I just will always think of her. I'm the age. I'll always think of her from the sitcom, the romantic sitcom, Just Good Friends from the uh, early '80s. Yeah, early to mid '80s, which was just huge. You got you know insanely high ratings. Uh, and uh, it was fine. It's a good sitcom, I suppose. Uh, I don't really remember the ins and outs of it. But then, just lately, I've discovered her in um, Secret Army <gasps> on Talking which Pictures, which is brilliant. Yeah, and you, you watch it for <laughs> half an hour and thinking, oh, it's just like Hello, Hello. And then you forget all about Hello, Hello. And they're going around murdering Germans, and then sometimes having to murder the British as well, just in case they're not really British. And uh, and yeah, so she's she's wow, she's got range. <laughs> she rom coms Nazi hunter to alien demon.
1: But, yeah, she knows exactly how to pitch this performance for this kind of story and is, yeah, really, really good. And in, in and the standout in a really great cast. Mm-hmm. And again, this is another one where there's there's lots of opportunity for really great sound design because you've got lots of snow, you've got lots of trudging through the snow, got horses and carriages and crackling fires and all of that. So all... The sound design is really evocative and really
0: sort of brings it to life beautifully. It's quite a Christmas uh, overall story, isn't it? But they're all quite wintry, isn't it? It's, it's. Um, I think it's sort of snowy in the first story when they visit sort of Roman Britain or, or inter Roman Britain, and then um, I think the idea is it's it's uh, winter in Paris as well, isn't it? I think. Oh, because yeah, it's always dark and misty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then this one. Uh, I think the next one probably slightly different, but yeah, it all adds to that wintry Christmas feel, doesn't it? That um...
2: are you either of you Archers listeners? Are you Simon?
0: No. i Turner mentioned it. You're a
2: so I am pointing to Simon because you're a librarian it just goes <laughs> at the <top>. <laughs> derby. librarians listen to the Archers. Yeah, That's what we you? do. <laughs> 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 well, I, I used to be. I was an Archers fan and then but then there was a whole not my Archers situation and I, I, <laughs> but uh, any Archers fans will not, will not recognize Lin, Linda Snell uh, the one um and was it? Carol, what's the, what's the first? Carol, Boyd. Carol Boyd, yeah, is um, uh, Linda Snell from The Archers. I'm sounding completely different in this. But um, to some people, that will, that will be a, a bonus feature too, having 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 someone from The Archers in Doctor Who.
0: It's, it's too much of The Archers. I need to wait for the box set, I think, to uh, <laughs> to catch up. <laughs> then you can get into it
2: properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you seen the, the Crossroads box set coming out? It's like 94 discs. Yes,
1: yeah, it's, so it's just I've been, been announced today. <laughs>
2: oh well, there we go. I was pitching you completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of Crossroads. That's a lot of watching. <laughs> I know, and it's not like complete season. And that's just was it? it, it it's the the best episodes selected or something, is mm-hmm. it? It's not even complete. No, because they don't all exist. So, oh, wow. Really. I Somebody's got to be animating them and, and doing, it, <laughs> doing it with fuzzy felt or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I or think fuzzy finger, felt would be very appropriate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or finger puppets. I don't, I don't really remember Crossroads, but um, when uh, if my mum my talked about when I was born, um, like 25 to 7 or something like that, and uh, apparently like a best friend said, oh, just in time for Crossroads. <laughs> 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 Just the only thing I know about it really is what's <laughs> That's the sort of thing that <laughs> sticks with you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that was a little
1: diversion.
2: That was a little diversion. <laughs> and speaking of it, and then because then we get a, a, a call. Who's, who's it? Pho- is it Mike Yates who phones in this time?
0: Mrs. Websy phones. <sighs> uh, yes, because Mike's the in the message. adventure this oh, time, isn't right, it? he? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
0: It's the answering machine again, isn't it? And she's, uh, is it going to get back to the TARDIS? The answering machine message says um, that she's had a look at the one of the Pieces of paper in the carrier bag was uh, a comic strip cover, and it's it's the doctor, Mrs. wibsey and Mike Yates, and there's a superhero in in Central Park. So they uh, so they all head off to to New York, and it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like next week we're doing a
2: comic book one. <laughs> yes, yes, it's, like, it's <laughs> that kind of. Come on then, roll up. What genre
0: are we doing next week? I suppose 2010 was before the kind of absolute boom of of comic book movies wasn't it you know we had um I suppose was uh, mcu wise we probably just had like iron man was about 2008 wasn't it so it hadn't really you know we hadn't had the avengers and stuff like that yet yeah um, i suppose we had like kind of individual like the x-men and, and maybe like the dark knight and things like that probably
1: no and of course and it predates doctor who going for the superhero genre for the christmas special the return of dr mysterio as well yeah. so which again, set in New York. So there's all just, just tiny parallels.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought about that one at all. Yeah, that's. Um... No one thinks about that one very often.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and again, it's a lovely cover that sort of echoes mm. yeah. um, Dave Gibbons' artwork for the early Doctor Who weekly comic strips, sort of beautifully. And that, that's really good. Proper comic book
2: cover. And there's a nice, uh, there's a little, there's a little story written by by the, the narrator um, in, in the uh, inlay of the CD, which I guess is probably going to be, I'm sure it'll be in with all the uh, stuff that comes with the box set too. Uh, you get, yeah, there's these little bonuses for every, for every uh, story. There's a, for every episode, there's a, a, a mm. little a little piece of accompanying text that's uh, in, in char- from one of the characters or about one of the characters.
0: Yeah, I imagine that's what will be collected in the in the booklet. I uh, think that's uh, that's coming with the set. So. Yeah, that'd be yeah, that'd be really nice. And this one feels like it's got a bigger cast. I haven't actually checked this, but I kind of listening to it. it felt like felt like it had something of a bigger cast than than some of the others because you've got uh, Buddy, who's the narrator in this one, who is a sort of wannabe comic book writer. Um, so I think I suppose that's why that's why he's the narrator as well. He's got quite um, an excitable style of, of narration, hasn't he? As if he's um, as if he's in a comic book sort of thing. His girlfriend, who is. Uh, finds the the meteorite in Central Park that gives her powers. You've got Mimsy, who's the uh, the retired Mimsy Loin. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful name. Yeah. Um, who who again is the is the demon and has been for her entire life? Because I think they clarify in the in the final instalment that the only person he mimicked was Claudius. So the demon has played Mimsy Loin for her entire life. She's quite old in this one. And, and she acted in all these movies and things like that that Mrs. Wibsey saw when she was younger. I did, I like the, the, the doctor catches her out by saying, oh, don't you remember we had a, a dalliance in the 1920s? Which doctor did you picture? Because he did say, oh, I look different then. Pertwee. <laughs> it's definitely Pert Pertwee. <laughs> Well, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> because,
2: <laughs> because 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 never travelled in time all that much. That's the only no, reason I did not think. But I suppose he no. did it did towards the end. Yeah, once he got the TARDIS back, it could. Yeah. So I thought it must have had to must have been Trouton, but then that just didn't seem right. Trouton with a glamorous and wasn't Hartnell, was it? Harden, was it? <laughs> it somehow wasn't. No. Mm-hmm.
0: It, it turns out like it was a ruse. I had forgotten that when I was. Oh listening yeah, that's to why he's it. bluffing, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but my mind did go to the second doctor just when he's sort of quite flirtatious and charming in you know the enemy of the world and things oh, like that. Yeah, yes, it's true. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so I pictured him. Is it Astrid where he's? Uh, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I sort of pictured him with, with that kind of rapport with the, with the younger the younger Mimsy. <laughs> I love be. it when he says, uh, no Mimsy her. <laughs> but, uh, she's not real. Yeah, and the dialogue, there's, there's lots of bits of dialogue that have got
2: that sort of schlocky 1950s American feel to them. There's a bit, was it where he, at one point she calls him um, Sugar? Someone calls him Sugar. Yeah, so she calls him Sugar, and he goes, "Don't, Don't sugar you me, sugary. honey." <laughs> <laughs> we, all, we all wrote it down. <laughs> brilliant,
1: and, it, and um, it it very much ties in um, with sort of the larger Paul Mars universe because he did a story, um, a, a a novel called um, "To the Devil a Diva," which was about um, an old Hollywood starlet who turned out to be a vampire, I believe, oh, and brilliant brilliant book sort of taking that sort of hollywood and and that in the sort of 30s or 40s i think it's been a long time since i've read it but it was very very good read um and again um just having tom baker having sort of an older woman to play off just seems to work really really well but one thing i did like was um mrs wibsey being a fan of her in her glory days in the early days of the talkies, which of course she would have been because you would have been there sort of seeing those films with her
2: and she knew who she was straight away. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that and it, and it's more of that character building for for Whibbsy, Fenella. <laughs> I saw on on Tyler's wiki or somewhere somewhere I saw a reference to it. It with with Tom Baker, the Doctor, and Fenella. I don't remember. That. No, oh, she's oh, always Mrs. Whibbsy's Wipsy. name, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that she had she had a youth when she was enthusiastic and went to do things that she got excited mm-hmm. about. That makes it all better. This one's got um that that bit about having having the narrator having uh, Dan as the um sorry buddy <laughs> i mean buddy as the narrator um that there's a bit at the start where he even says in a way i was her very own narrator when he's talking about uh the uh, the miraculous describing because he has to do a lot of describing of the things that are happening to uh alice isn't it who becomes the uh becomes starfall um superhero uh, and uh, and then there's a few points where, he, where there's real real knowing jokes from the writer, as, as he's saying, and although I wasn't there when this was happening, I reckon what probably happened was, and he <laughs> yeah. describes the scene to you that he wasn't in, because uh, he's an aspiring writer and he hasn't got the hang of it yet. So, of course, he's not actually a very deft narrator. When it comes to narrating, he's not quite as skilled at it as some people might be, and I think that's a nice, uh, a nice little game.
0: Yeah, and because... Because it's his girlfriend, he so bigs her up more than the doctor as well, which is which is nice because it, it it is generally from her from his point of view that to him she is the hero of the story kind of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, and um, this one gives Tom Baker some other interesting things to do because he has to act ill and um, mm. sort of. um sort of sapped of all his powers and things like that, which is um, interesting. We don't don't see that side of the fourth Doctor very often, where he's vulnerable.
0: Yeah. And there's
1: bits where he's having to lean on Mike, who is an older man, <laughs> and um, he's propping him up, which is really good.
2: Yeah, it's a nice moment between them, yeah. I love the... Um, there's a bit where a lot of... The sound design's really good when we get the... Um, is it, are they specifically an Egyptian cult they're just a cult aren't they but it, but it made me think of Egyptian with all the chanting and, and, and the temple because of um, it took me to young Sherlock Holmes and there's that really dramatic scene in that where they discovered the pyramid the underground pyramid uh, and I think, I think this was maybe riffing on that a bit deliberately because uh, it
0: uh, yeah really very evocative it's a nice image that they're all dressed like the fourth doctor as well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cos- the cult of yeah. cosplayers
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i don't know whether it's a little nod to what was going on on tv and doctor who around this time but uh, when wibsey says why are you all worshiping the doctor he isn't a god uh yes. I, I did, I did a little yes uh, that's that, that's me watching season two and three <laughs> series two yeah. and three sorry
1: <laughs> but of course it makes it all the more sort of easy to picture in your mind where you've got the narrator say, and you could see the scarf trailing off, but it couldn't have been the Doctor because there was another one over the other side and and all of that. And you can just see how they would have done it on TV in 1978 or whatever. And yet just all the sort of multiple act, Tom being all sort of all over the place and, and things like that would have been
2: really cool. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's all 1970s proofed, isn't it? It could, it, it could all be, he's not doing anything in this in this series. That's uh, completely blowing everything out of the water and doing something that you could never have had on TV, which is a f- all right, fine thing to do. But no, this yeah, this one's very uh, got it, got it, got its
0: heart in the mid seventies. Yeah, because up to now, and I think this is true of, of Hornets Nest as well. They've all been Earthbound adventures, haven't they? And even when the next story, when they go to the eponymous sepulcher, um, it looks like um, a, a traditional british manor house um, which is <laughs> made, you know sort of doctor who views in the 70s as well so even though they're, they're described as being on the very edge of the universe um it's uh it's it's still the kind of environment that uh, that you would have seen on tv doctor who and and that tom baker really fits into very well as uh, i think yeah so jumping ahead a little bit there <laughs> But yeah, so Mrs. Wibbsy's kidnapped by the demon at the end of this one. Uh, so the uh, the doctor might go back to Ness Cottage and, and they've found a, sort of half a heart pendant, haven't they? And then they find the other half. And
1: smalls.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the voicemail, isn't it? Yeah. It's hilarious. It's
2: one of the funniest bits, yeah. Where well, she's leaving this really long message saying there's something really important and you must listen to me very carefully. And the and the doc- just get on with it, woman,
0: <laughs> <laughs> because the tape's about to run out. <laughs> and when when the doctor says you, you, you it was in your drawers, drawer, and she, even though she's sort of um, she's she's not quite herself at that point, she goes, "Yes, okay, doctor." <laughs> and, <laughs> sort of snaps out of it um, as though that embarrassment still sort of breaks through the spell a little bit. That that was really cool. Yeah. This is all very creepy at this uh in this stately home, isn't it? And Mrs. Wibsy's uh rolling a a hostess trolley around and uh, (laughs) doesn't doesn't want to leave and things. Yeah, and we get um we get a pullback to the character Ernestina
2: Stott from the last series. Yes, which I've completely forgotten (laughs) from the uh the, the, the dead shoes. She comes back as a, um, uh, with, with a, I've, I'm trying not to say info dump because, I mean, it is an info dump, but it's actually, it's all, it all ties up. It is, it's something relevant to where she was, and the doctor gets her to, find, to tell him something. So, yeah, it all, it all hangs together.
0: The, the listeners just, just primed the right amount, I think. I think when Mike comes back into it, he mentions the Hornets. So it's like the third story, isn't it? When he, when he comes back and he says, Oh, remember that business with the Hornets? Mm. And then in this one, the doctor and Mike are having a conversation early on. About the events of how Mrs. Webbsy came to, uh, you know, to be living at Ness Cottage and things, so it does. It does. Your mind is back there a little bit with the um, with that initial story. Uh, for obviously the, real of who, the reveal of who the ultimate villain of this is, because it was interesting that conversation right at the start when the doctor says to Mike, "Oh, maybe I did the wrong thing by bringing Mrs. Wibsey there." Whereas previously he'd sort of said, well, no, this, this is where you've got to be. There's no choice. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. And then it, he's sort of revealing that one, that it is entirely his choice. Yeah. And that he's he drops in as older as his unpaid housekeeper. <laughs> um, so it's, um, it just yeah, kind of slightly cruel in a way. I mean, better than Dan, who's got no house. but Yeah, well, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. At least he's
1: given her a roof over her head.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and this one has the um the smallest cast does it it's just it's just the doctor mm. Yates, wibzy and uh the host uh, and then there's just the the voicemail, the voicemail call from Ernestina which is only a little i think uh, so really it's just it's just the four of them and it's all it's all played out It's tom it's tom going i mean you could call it showboating but he is just reveling in in the words that he gets to play with and that and that's it that's the story that's what it that's what this is uh, uh, an episode of is just Tom go, and and Co. And go, going uh, going hell for leather.
0: So if you say the host there? Because that's on the back cover, isn't it, it says um, Nigel Anthony is the host and Carol Boyd as the old friend. So they're really studiously avoiding the spoilers. Of, mm-hmm. um, well, I mean, suppose if you listen to the first one, you know that Aunt Nigel Anthony played uh, Claudius, who's the demon, mm-hmm. but he has the old friend uh, that you know. They so when you hear the name. Ernestina Stott, um, which, which is like a good old-fashioned like Doctor Who name as well, isn't it? It's like sort of, uh, like Begonia Pope or something like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, that's exactly what you said of... last time we talked about Ernestina Stott. <laughs> 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 that's
1: still true. That's still true.
0: I'll, I will. Uh, I'll cut that bit out. <laughs> no, no, that's brilliant.
1: <laughs> but yes, I'm. Fancy there being a story in 2010 where um, there's a tomb for the Doctor that is ultimately going to be a trap for him.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I can't I think know, of we'll see something like... in the water that year. <laughs> yeah, and his time, yeah, and, and the Doctor's timeline. Although I love it being called an atlas. That's a, um I don't know. It just visualises it very nicely. Yeah. Um. But then uh, when um the host says to the Doctor, yeah, you will become the first of a new kind of being. And he just goes, "Oh, that sounds dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> Which is it's a very thing to
1: do to sort of yeah. undercut the villain at that point.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah the, bo- the Bohemian Fourth Doctor would not want that at all. <laughs> the, he spoke, speaking about the sound design earlier, the point when it's revealed that the Hornets have come back, and it starts off <laughs> initially as a really loud hum, and then as they talk and they say, oh, it's like a half remembered dream. And then you can pick out individual buzzes as, as the sound goes on. It's like they're getting closer. I thought that was a really fantastic piece of sound design. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's sort of a, just a roar and then, and then you realize that it's the, uh, mm-hmm. it's a buzz. Yeah. It's
1: really nicely done. I, the, the, reveal of the villains is is really good i again i'd completely forgotten because it'd been a long time who it was behind (laughs) it all so that was that came as a nice surprise like it did the first time and um again it sort of shows again um the doctor not thinking through his actions and because he'd left mrs wibsey behind for all that time and this had happened to her he had no idea that this this was even a problem because he wasn't there and so she'd mm-hmm. been dealing with this and the whispering in her ear and and everything else and just the, again the description of the hornet going
0: up her nose it's just oh, horrible mm-hmm. it's like that uh star trek film isn't it when the um... yeah i was thinking always oh, went in the ear of course that went up the nose because <laughs> this is <Yeah>. Doctor Who. <laughs> But, yeah, it's that sort of uh, idea, isn't it, of something getting inside you like that that's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. a little creepy and, and disturbing. And then multiplying inside our head as well,
2: as she describes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and she spends a long time just sort of writhing in agony and pleading for help She towards the end, yeah, mm-hmm. which, yeah, all, all of the character building that you've, that you've done up to that point really takes you. Take you into it. There's a lovely. Um, I was squinting because I wanted to read about have it, but the print's so small I can hardly see it. The, the, the text that accompanies this in the CD booklet, and I'm sure it will be in the, in the album too, is a letter that she's written to. In, in fact, when, in back, it ties back to the, the first disc. There's a, the first story. There's a. Um, uh, she mentions something about oh, I've got to see Deirdre when she's at, when she's at the uh, the church. Hall. Deirdre, what's she's, it? Yes, and the, dog, <laughs> and, and, the, and the dog says, "We haven't got time to worry about Deirdre." Well, well the, the, the leaflet for the uh, the inlay leaflet for the for the CD of this one is a letter that she writes to Deirdre while she's trapped in this other place, uh, and it's about how sad and lonely she's always been and how she wasn't enjoying life in the in the village at all. Um, but uh, but maybe things will get better, sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, her such a sympathetic sympathetic character.
0: Yeah, that scene's quite powerful where she's pleading with Mike to give her the TARDIS key so that she can leave before she becomes fully possessed and, and sort of betrays the Doctor. Um, it's, you stupid man, you know, that kind of thing. It, it was um, that, that was really well done. And then I thought it was interesting that it's Mike that's got that line about betraying that something like, oh, so, you know, you knew be, you would betray the Doctor again given his past form. Yeah. Uh, which the demon alludes to as well. It says something about I've noted the weakness in his mind or something. Um, yeah, which the Hornets had played on in the last set of adventures, of course, as well. Yeah. And then the, I thought the revelation, this was quite interesting that Mike Yates has met future incarnations as well. So that sort of speaks of, oh, yeah. of untold stories, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, cause, yeah,
2: because he, he never met the fourth, did he? Um did he? No, he's not in The Five No, 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 no in never, The Five no. Doctors he only met the third mm. and it wasn't really him anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's when he had his adventure with Sarah Kingdom. <laughs> maybe. <Yes. laughs> Did he? Yeah, well, there's a picture on the board in um, The Day of the Doctor. Oh, of yeah. Mike Yates and, <laughs> and Sarah Kingdom photoshopped
0: together. <laughs> So, and he thought that uh, Hartner was a later doctor because he's older. Yeah, Maybe that- there we go. <laughs> yeah, we've got this all down. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah that's all. Yeah, <laughs> he did. There's the bit where, um, uh, at one point, the Doctor says, "This has just been an enormous wild goose chase through time." And it's like, oh, yeah, I suppose it has, actually, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it? it really is sort of just, it's its a vehicle for him to go to these places and meet these actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 yeah, kind of every every episode sort of ends with, oh, you've got away one more time. I've yeah. got it. another bit of the TARDIS back. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And the, so you yes. really, the, the quest is to just see what's there rather than, specifically, he doesn't specifically think I must follow these clues to save the universe until until, the, until this, it's only in this episode that you really find out what's at stake
0: mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, because the demon's plan is really, is just he just needs to get the doctor into the te- dematerialization chamber to get him to Volker mm. to, uh, to, to create this atlas of time but he's gone about it in a very elaborate, convoluted way <laughs> yeah. um, and built in lots of redundancies as well, so assuming that his guise as, as Claudius doesn't work. He's already left all these clues, unless he left the clues at the end, knowing that the he's been defeated by them hasn't he yeah that's the point <laughs> when did he actually do all this? no yes
2: obviously yeah he must have done it first i suppose yeah he couldn't have gone back but yeah he's, he's lived all these lives just to to try and catch the doctor out on one specific day well when he knows it's, it's like terrible. the
1: master saying well i've got a trap behind that trap that um, will be enjoyed yeah, yeah. for spring so he yeah. probably just enjoyed the the thrill of well i think i'll go to paris i think i'll go and Russia, fairy tale, New York. Fancy that in the summer. Yeah, that would be nice.
2: (laughs) So... That's true. Yeah, when business travel, you try to build in some um, some some sightseeing, don't you? It's kind of the same mentality, I suppose.
0: Yeah, he's just a freelancer, yeah. isn't he? So he's, he's
2: yeah, yeah. I don't know. The Hornets are not going to be pleased with their um, <laughs> with their procurement plan that led the, to him being appointed as their uh, as their champion to to, re, re, to do basically what was just their first plan again. It's like let's catch <laughs> the doctor. Okay, mm-hmm. didn't work. Let's get a demon to catch the doctor for us. Okay, that didn't work. But again,
1: I think the the demons from a different dimension, so he wanted to experience our dimension. So he's had quite a lot of great experiences by this point. So that's good. That's true.
2: Yes, the real quest was the people he killed along the way, yeah. <laughs> or impersonated, yeah. or or impersonated. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Lived as a Hollywood a-lister as well during the sort of golden age of Hollywood. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's sort of that that could
2: easily just distract you from the whole universe conquering thing. I would have thought that would be. <laughs>
0: And then we end the whole story on a cliffhanger. Yes. <laughs> Where it's, uh, it's Christmas at Nest Cottage again, and there's somebody at the door. And uh, I think uh, Mrs. Whibsy goes, Oh, you'll never believe who it is. And then she screams. And uh, I think the, Mike and the doctor look out the window, and then it ends, doesn't
2: it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very abrupt. and And because the last. The last one had a really cozy ending didn't it I think it was like oh anyway, around the fire sipping sipping sherry mm-hmm. uh, mm. and, and it's uh, all set up to go that
1: way again mm. because the setup is all there and they mm. are and the doctor's been singing and and has had a sherry and mike hasn't had a sherry and everything is good
0: <laughs> got, she's made mince pies yeah as suppose the first one they weren't sure if they'd get Get recommissioned, and uh, no. they must have been more confident by this point, and uh, mm-hmm. felt that they could uh, set up a then the next series.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this one's yeah, you can tell that they they must have after the first one did well. I guess they must have gone out and commissioned two more mm-hmm. straight away. I wonder because uh, they were yeah, and and yeah, I think this second one is quite similar, basic basically quite similar to the first one. I think the third one is more. Uh, it's because
0: we go into space it, yeah it's, it's more diverse great. the next one yes. isn't it uh, I think I'm right in saying it's, it's, there's no narration as well it's all acted oh, I'd forgotten I name. know Star
1: Wars is the first one where there isn't any narration and it's a proper full cast audio but I can't mm. remember whether the others have all again because I haven't heard it since 20, 2012 or what, whenever so 2011
0: so it's been a little while mm. Yeah, I can't quite remember that either. It was almost like they were sort of gradually getting Tom Baker ready for, for Big Finish, wasn't it? That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: R- revving him up, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's full cast audio drama. Okay, off you go. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have to and come it, back it, and look-
2: listen to that one when it comes out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, it seems like a shoe in that
1: that will be coming, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, they, given the uh, given that uh, they, they've done the first two as uh, as vinyls, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll see that one as well. Yeah, it's another great round of adventures, I think. And again, um,
1: it's been a joy listening to these in winter. I think these really benefit from my dark morning commutes at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've been a, a real joy to revisit, uh, and they're just. Such a wonderful little backwater of Doctor Who that often gets overlooked and forgotten about, and I think there's so much in them
0: that's uh really joyful and really really lovely to listen to absolutely yeah i um I've been listening to one of what the dogs and it's really dark mornings at the moment so so i'm the same it's yes yeah, sort a of cold wintry mornings really enjoying the atmosphere of them and things yeah so it's, uh, it's fantastic to revisit them there's a couple of um
2: Mrs. Wibbsey. Side projects that Paul Mars has written. Um, a couple of just just uh, just Susan Jameson reading an audio book of the the Further Adventures of Whibsey. Oh, not called yeah, that. Yeah, there was it's one this year. was Dr. there? Z. I think. Yeah, the the
0: Penumbra Affair and the Winged yeah, for the first, Coven. For the Winged Coven, the first one. I've got that one. Yeah, I haven't listened to it for a long time. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, that's yeah, like, yeah. the audio uh, one as well, isn't it? Mm.
1: No, it's lovely that the character goes on because I think the Doctor Mike and Mrs. Wibsey work really well as a team unexpectedly. I mean you wouldn't think then the fourth Doctor and Mike would, would work as well as it does, but it mm. there's a yeah, there's a nice little sort of camaraderie between them and Mrs. Wibsey just sort of fits in with them both really nicely. And it's really nice mm. to hear that that team develop
0: over this um over this set. Mm. It does link it back a little bit as well, doesn't it? Is it the um, I think it's the shard device where Mike talks about having recounted the adventures of the Hornets Nest to the Brigadier and Liz and Joe? Is it? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice that they the idea that they're all you know still got that sort of network and the, but the, yeah, the doctor's the doctor's a little bit annoyed, isn't he? That, uh, <laughs> that oh, that's right. Yeah, isn't so you Doesn't want them all knowing where he lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe that ties into um, so uh, regular trap one contributor John Feetenby's theory is that this isn't the fourth Doctor, this is the curator, or uh, you know, sort of you know, oh, earlier. Well, ones, that would work the incarnation of the curator. So maybe that's why he doesn't want, uh, he doesn't necessarily want all these uh, past acquaintances know know where he is as well.
2: Uh, yeah, he's doing it on the Sly. Got and the was a lovely co- little nod to,
0: to Sarah in one of them as
1: well, wasn't it? Where Mike was saying, oh, I'm sure Miss Smith would be able to take this all in her stride and do all of this. But I can't. I'm an old man. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: yeah and the doctor goes, yes, she was wonderful. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. mm mm-hmm. So yeah, we d- definitely recommend these. If uh, I mean the the vinyl set does have a hefty <laughs> price tag again, doesn't it? I think it's even more expensive than than the last one. Um, I think is it about one hundred and eighty pounds. This one, I think, Ooh, the last one one hundred sixty nine ninety nine on Amazon. All uh, oh, right, so it's, it's sort of ten so... pounds more than, uh, than the <laughs> previous one. But I think I think the other the first one is still available and has come down in price significantly. I think it's come down to about. 105 pounds, which is still. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. initial 150 pounds uh, release. Uh, you know, it has come down by a third, sort of things. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's, there's
2: a lot of stuff in that box, yeah,
0: and they are gorgeous. Well, they, they really Or
2: are. it's 7.99 for an audible credit to get all three series. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, which, which I think that wasn't available last last time we talked about these. I think there was there was only available individually, but now indiv- now um, audible is you know, bundled up. Uh, all three nest cottage chronicles is for one credit
0: so that's uh, wow well, that is that is a very good buy then for for anybody that hasn't heard these that's um that's a lot of material and and some really good stories
2: i know it's uh, perfect listen
0: between him. christmas and new year it fit in beautifully definitely i know keith who's a, who's regular on track 1 as well said so these are his favorite tom baker audio stories and i, I think i probably i'm probably the same with that i can't um can't Think of any of the sort of big finish ones which I do enjoy as big finish work, but I can't think of any of them that have really stayed with me. Um, and that uh, you know, have the uh, did this sort of re listening ability that's not really a real word, is it? The uh, the... <laughs> yeah, it's I'll we'll take that, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: because
0: and it's beca- and it is
2: because they just go beyond the the because it's not, it is like a separate era of the fourth doctor, mm-hmm. uh. Very clearly, the others, the others maybe a bit as well, but the, this is just so clearly a, a, a different, as, as different, you know, as, as the Graham Williams era was to to the uh, to, to, to his early
0: stories, or yeah, or the J and D era. Yeah, yeah, it's not an attempt to recreate a specific part of his his TV run, is it? In the way the Big Finish tend to do. Mm-hmm. No, uh, and and, it, it, and that gives it the freedom to be whatever it likes, which is a really yeah. good thing. Yeah. And, and Paul Mars writing for the Fourth Doctor is is just per- perfection. Just the the dialogue that he gives him uh, just really really suits his delivery and everything. Um, and he, also this year we we covered earlier um, on a different episode of the podcast Paul Mars Fourth Doctor novel The Return of Robin Hood, which was uh, which was really really nice as well. So that was the Fourth Doctor with Sarah and Harry. And uh, yeah, it just really captures that era and, and those three characters really well.
2: Yeah, you can, tell, you can tell you can tell when a you can tell when a writer is just in love with his characters,
1: can't
0: you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah, it's, a, it's a bumper year for, for for Paul Mars Doctor Output because we've also got the new audio annual which comes out this week, uh, where he's adapted some of the annual comic strips into audiobooks as well. So. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating to hear. I'm looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's quite a challenge. Like the two two most opposite possible mediums in a way, just uh, pictures versus pure, – pure, pure still pictures versus audio. A of me. Interesting yeah. to see how it all comes together. I'm sure he'll yeah, it'll go through it there.
0: And it's the third and fourth Doctor stories as well, so it's, it's that 70s uh, type of Doctor Who, which I think um, – yeah, Paul Mars really uh really works well with. Yeah. Nice. Good stuff. Great. Well, that's that's uh that's our review of Demon Quest. I say what? cannot recommend highly enough, really. Not got not got anything <laughs> bad to say about it. It's just uh it's just a fantastic story from start to finish.
1: Not at all.
0: No, it really it was just lovely to revisit these stories.
1: And I look forward to doing the third set with you both.
0: Yeah. Definitely, yeah. It would be nice. I mean, not that I want to wait that long, but it'd, it'd be nice if they <laughs> kept them as Christmas releases because it is, like you were saying, Sai, it's just such a lovely time of year to to listen to these because they are strongly sort of Christmas infused, aren't they?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very, very, uh, very festive, and and its own its own sort of take
0: on that as well. Its own take on winteriness. Uh. <laughs> And we should say that Maximum Power season two is is currently being released for uh, for anybody that uh, that enjoys Blake Seven.
2: Yes, you can hear us in various combinations on that. Some, or sometimes none of us, sometimes a mixture, mix and match of us. Uh, we've got what's coming out next. The next episode. Pressure, point is next, pressure point is next, which is all of us. We've yeah, we're,
1: we're on it, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Somehow we went for five episodes without you, Pete. I don't know how yeah, we did it. I
2: can't remember. To think. I'm not, was i think. I must have been busy. To... Oh yeah, I'm busy or COVID. I think I might be when I had COVID. It might be less uh, less dramatic than that. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I get back in the uh, get back back there on the
0: microphone soon. I really enjoy that. And what have we got coming up on Trap One, Mark? Hmm. We've got a review of the Chibnall era. Uh, so t- talking about the. Uh, just specifically, you know, from the point of view of showrunner and head writer, and then okay. separately, Jason's going to be leading a panel talking about the Thirteenth Doctor and uh, her sort of best moments. I think, uh, I think it's something like that, and we'll be looking at the new audio annual uh, that we mentioned as well, Dead on Arrival. So, yeah, I think that'll I'll um, that'll basically see the see this year out for for trap one. Nice, it's been a
2: great it's been a great year. It's been really fun to participate.
0: It has. Great. Yeah, you know, it's been um it's gone gone really fast in that point of view from when we sort of uh yes, yeah, sort of formed a team for trap one. Um can't believe that's uh that's like a year ago now, but it's been brilliant. Well, we hope that you will continue listening to upcoming episodes and into the new year. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. You can find all our previous ones at trap one.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And please do consider leaving us a review or a star rating so that other Doctor Who fans can find us. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.